Welcome to this week's episode of The Haber Show. We've got special guest ESPN's Amin El Hassan. He's a regular on The Jump and the co-host of the SiriusXM NBA show, The No Look Pass. As a former front office executive with the Phoenix Suns during the Mike D'Antoni years, I had to ask him about his beloved Los Angeles Lakers hot start. We diagnose the ills of the Utah Jazz. We discuss Dwight Howard's revival and revisit the Lakers Suns series of yore. Also, we'll get into his proudest achievement as a Sudanese American in the NBA world. But first, we're going to play a little Tom's trivia. So without further ado, Amin El Hassan. Mr. Amin El Hassan, that's what your name is in my phone, Mr. Amin El Hassan. Why is that? I feel like we, we went out to dinner one time and I, I, I put in Mr. Amin El Hassan. You should put Mr. Amin El Hassan, comma, NBA behind that. You know, I have titles. I have cre- degrees and credentials, sir. You do have your MBA. That was from ASU? Or, yes. From yeah. 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 True story. I turned down NYU to go to, to ASU. <laughs> you didn't want to go to Stern? I mean, it's named after the commissioner of the NBA. Is it? No. <laughs> I always wondered. I always wondered. Maybe it is. I just, uh, I just made that up. Uh, I should probably look that up. Stern Business School mm-hmm. at NYU, I'm pretty sure, is not named after. Let's I'm... just run with it. I, I like the idea of running with it. Is that why you turned it down? Uh, yes, because I didn't like the commissioner. <laughs> All right, so we do this thing on the pod where I quiz my guests just to do a little layup line warm up for the show. You ready for a little game here? Sure. You always love the games, by the way. It's fun. Who doesn't like games? I'm a guy. That's the difference. Most people like playing games. You like implementing the games and like being the game master, if you will. I want you first to tell the audience. Sing Mary Had a Little Lamb in Alvin Gentry's voice. <clears throat> okay. Oh, Mary Had a Little Lamb. Oh, voice is wide as snow. Okay, I can't, I'm, I'm not good enough at doing his voice to sing a song. Because the key to doing Alvin's voice is doing just the same couple of phrases over over again. Which, okay. Hey, I'll tell you right now. Mary Had a Little Lamb. Like, that, that's it. <laughs> okay. Okay. Alvin Gentry, uh, for those who don't know, uh, is one of the most impersonated voices or most iconic voices in the league, right? Yeah, I can't, I can't even imagine who, who else is in that category. A lot of guys do Gerg. I don't do a good Gerg, but a lot of guys do Gerg because he's been around forever and he's just got a very gruff – talk about, uh, about long-time NBA assistant coach Tim Gergerich. He's got a very gruff demeanor, very straightforward, so people enjoy doing that one. Yeah, what about uh, Thibodeau? I guess Nick Friedle is the Thibodeau. Yeah, <laughs> Nick Friedle does Thibodeau really well. <laughs> Doc Rivers is another one. A lot of people like doing Doc. Have you seen the Jamie Foxx Doc? Yeah. Oh, it's great. Yeah. It's a great one. It's great. It's, it's not his fault. <laughs> it's not his fault. It's not his fault. Hey, Blake, Blake, it's not your fault. <laughs> if you haven't seen that one, you got to watch. Uh, Jamie Foxx does Doc Rivers on, I think it's Jimmy Fallon. Um, actually, we brought this up when I was talking to Ethan the other day. Is like the Jimmy Fallon impersonator uh, game. It's got to be rigged, right? Uh, I, I don't. I'm not aware because I don't watch Fallon. Oh, sorry. I know, I know this is this is. I'm a, more of a Kimmel guy myself. If you if you say a late night Jimmy, <laughs> see what I did there? Yeah, that's, you that's pretty good. I, I work for Disney. Yeah. Yeah. 
I actually got a word from management today uh, because the, they, they love the pod that we did over the summer. I think it was in free agency. But they management had asked us, I mean, not to drop an F-bomb every other word, if that's okay. Did I, did I drop an F-bomb? I think we, we both did. I think we were both culprits here. We both the needed to time? wash our mouths out with soap. The whole time? Uh, I don't know if it was the whole time. I don't, I don't typically cuss too much on basketball podcasts. Okay. But we were we like were talking about the Knicks futility and Amare and, and well, well they are <laughs> terrible. <laughs> uh, oh, here's the quiz. Here's the quiz. Ready? Yeah. Alvin Gentry has coached in the NBA for seven different NBA teams, some multiple times over, either as mm-hmm. an assistant or a head coach. Can you name mm-hmm. the seven? The head coach? No, nope, just teams on or? the staff or this head is, coach. This is this is really easy. San Antonio. Okay. Because uh, he came over with Larry Brown. Yep. Miami. Yep. Detroit. Mm-hmm. New Orleans. Yep. Phoenix. Correct. Clippers. Warriors. Wow. And I can tell you, New Orleans, he was an assistant and a head coach. Detroit, he was an assistant and a head coach. Phoenix, he was an assistant and a head coach. Miami, he was an assistant as a, and a head coach. Is he the assistant turned head coach king? Uh, no, because New Orleans is kind of a weird coincidence. He was an assistant, then he left, and then he came back as a head coach. Alvin's like, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of people like Alvin because he's had that head coaching experience, right? And and as an assistant, that's, especially if you're a young head coach, it's nice to have someone like, so Steve Kerr having Alvin on his staff was a huge, huge asset for him, uh, as he's learning how to be a head coach. And uh, what Alvin is, though, I'll tell you a more interesting trivia. Uh, I'll, t- I'll tell you what, in a more interesting. Hey, I'll tell you. I'll tell you right now. <laughs> Al- Alvin is a survivor, right? That's the big thing about Alvin. He came into the league in 1988 with uh, Larry Brown. Larry Brown went from Kansas to Spurs. He brought over a bunch of people from Kansas with him. Alvin was one of those people. You know who else was in that uh, exodus from oh. Kansas to San Antonio? Uh, uh, Pop. Uh, no, I think Pop took a year and then came over a, a year later. No, it was a young man named R.C. Buford. Oh. Yeah. So anyway, so since Alvin came to the NBA in 1988 or 89 or whatever it was, he has been employed by an NBA team in the part-earned whole of every single season since then. That's 31, going on 32 years. Wait, he hasn't gone uh, on the sabbatical? He's never had like an entire year where I didn't work anywhere or whatever. Wow. Yeah. Who can say that? That's it, that's that's an amazing feat, and uh, that's why we joke around and say, "Alvin, you're a lifer, right?" He's he's a lifer in the in the truest sense. So he knows where all the bodies are buried, and he knows where he knows all the skeletons in the closet in the NBA. This guy knows everything. He's been around. Yeah, he's been around, and and he's been around some of the greatest minds, Popovich and Doug Collins, and and obviously you know. Uh, you know Hassan. Yeah, there you go. I'm joking that you were one of the funnier, funnier, smarter, brilliant minds, the brightest minds that Alvin Gentry has worked with. But it is true that um, that you guys did work together during uh, the Phoenix years, and we could point to the Phoenix tree all over the NBA. You're one of them. David Griffin is another. Alvin Gentry. I don't know if he's a Phoenix tree per se, but yes, yes. It brings me to this. Why does Amin El Hassan hate the Lakers so much? Uh, a Phoenix Suns employee 
hates the Lakers. News at 11. Well, I think the funny thing, first of all, I'm not a Phoenix Suns employee. And I think the funniest thing about that statement to uh, assume that I hate the Lakers, I see a lot of Laker fans make do this weird reverse engineering. Oh, it's because he worked for the Suns. That's why he hates the Lakers. Well, I think if you ask people around Phoenix, either those working for the team or pe- certainly people who root for the Phoenix Suns, the perception is I hate the Suns. Um, and Wait, which one is it? I mean, is it you I know, hate the Suns or you're a Suns? Uh, I, I'll apologist? take it one. I'll take it one further. There's a the new hot rumor in Milwaukee is that I hate the Bucks and that I want Giannis out of Milwaukee by any means necessary. And down in Houston, everyone thinks I hate the Rockets and I hate James Harden particularly. And over in San Antonio, everyone thinks I hate the Spurs. And uh, let's see where else. I've like the only. The Knicks, I'm sure you. you you're, oh yeah, like the Knicks. I've, I've had my run-ins with their PR department over things. A scorned they, former employee. Yeah, oh, that's because I used to work for the Knicks. That's right. And people in Boston think I hate the Celtics because I hate the city of Boston. And and I guess what I'm and people in Toronto think I hate Toronto because uh, it's not America. And so on and so forth. And basically the gist of it is if you start to tally up all the people who think I hate their team, I think you'll hit 29 teams. I think the only team and fan base that has never levied that accusation against me are the uh, are the Miami Heat. I don't know why. Yeah, because you're the the purveyor of the the Heat Island. You are are the the king of Heat Island. You start. Well, because of one – public moment of sh- of support when they were down like or you know for me because uh, I, I am a big believer in their culture and in uh, the way they do things and their processes even as I've readily admitted both in private to them and also in public I could never work for the Miami Heat never in a million years I could never work under those circumstances but I recognize how successful they are because of those circumstances um yeah, I like, but other than that, yeah, every everybody thinks I hate them. So chances are, if your team is in the news or doing well for itself, then you're gonna think that this year my most hated team or something like that. Well, the Lakers, the Lakers are the loudest right now, and uh, just checking from your mentions, I'm sure, I'm sure it's filled with Lakers fans. And you can do, can you do your nerd voice about uh, about the Lakers? What do you think about our schedule now? We'll strike the schedule now, Utah. By the way. Denver. <laughs> By the way, I wasn't doing a random. I, I was doing Jared Dudley that time. <laughs> uh, that's good. It's good. Uh, Another, Jared, uh, Jared, 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 boy, did Jared tweet something like, uh, oh, man, uh, uh, have we have we played against any tough teams now? And I wanted to respond. I was on the radio when they told me, but I still haven't done it on Twitter. But I wanted to say, no, Jared, you, you still haven't. Your team has. <laughs> Jared Dudley has it. <laughs> It is, uh, have we still not played anybody good yet? Question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark. Jared Jared hasn't played anyone good. That's right. Last two nights. Well, last night, I don't know. But (laughs) that was one of my questions that I'm going to ask you, Tom. Can I ask a question now or do I have to wait to a specific segment? Go, go. What's wrong with the Utah Jazz, man? Specifically, specifically, what's wrong over the last uh, two weeks? Something happened, and now they're awful. So one of the things that I struggle with is when do we say that Mike Conley's toast? When are we, when is it okay to point out that two years ago he had serious Achilles ankle injuries, came back, played great, he's 32, 
and he comes to a new situation and has not looked good at all. And he didn't play last night, um, but that didn't seem to help matters. And that's yeah, probably I- the first thing I go to is Mike Conley came in to be that all-star caliber player to settle everything on both ends of the floor, and but mostly to be the 20-point scorer that they, that they lacked last year, to give a different I- dynamic, and that hasn't happened at all. See, I, I think there's two conversations because there's a conversation about Mike Conley and what's wrong with him and is he going to round in a form and all that. And that's a, that's a fair, valid conversation to, to, to be had. But this team three weeks ago was eight and three mm-hmm. with some quality wins, Milwaukee, the Sixers, uh, the Clippers, right? They, you know, they, they, they were like, yo, we're – we may not be the best team in the conference, but we're finding our way. And since November 12th, basically, since they, uh, they beat the Nets on November 12th, they've gone one, two, three, four, two and three, four, two and four and seven, basically, uh, including losing. There's that NBA, everybody. Yeah, they lost <laughs> five of their last six games. And they're not just like regular, oh, man, ball bounced the wrong way. We we, we caught this L. They even getting their Beat, including down 40 at halftime to Toronto, getting outclassed by Indiana. The Sixers really had them on the ropes in the first half, and they made a little comeback. The Lakers had them wire to wire last night. What's happened recently is, I guess, what I'm looking for. Okay, well, the first thing, listen to the names you just mentioned. Look at the teams. At Milwaukee, at Indiana, okay. at Memphis, okay, at Toronto, at Philly, and then home against I'm, the 18-3 and three Lakers. Okay. I, I wouldn't. I'm not talking about L's though. I'm talking about complete annihilation, like mm-hmm. uh, to the point where okay. So I'm looking at over their last ten games. Their defensive rating over the last ten games is 110.6 per hundred possessions. That's good for 18th in that same stretch, right? They went from uh, overall they were up until a couple weeks ago number two in the league in defense. They're tenth today. Mm. They, it's fallen off a cliff very recently, and I, I just can't call it. I don't know. I, I guess I wasn't paying attention enough before it happened for me to see the difference. Like I, I remember watching the Jazz when they were defending great earlier this season, and now I watch them and, and they can't stop anybody. Yeah. Well, and a lot I, of it I, is three, hot three-point shooting in the last couple of weeks by their opponents, which I'm not going to write off as totally random. But I think it's offense. Like, if you're bringing in, if you bring in Mike Conley and Boyan, like, you have to be able to improve offensively. You have to. If you're not, yeah. if, if you're not scoring at a high level with those two additions to the team, with Donovan Mitchell already in the in the fold and Joe Ingles and and the rim runner uh, Rudy Gobert, that's a problem. Because well, I mean, because the, now what? Now what do you do? You have Mike Conley's contract on the books and Bogdanovich's uh, contract. That's not good. Where do well, you go I mean, if you're a small market team and if well, this iteration does not work? First of all, Bogdanovich has played very well for them. I don't think they regret that contract. Uh, he's been what actually one of their best players. Yes, he has. He has. This, this year. So I, I think that one's fine. Uh, at the same time, part of it, and obviously Mike Conley's health is a, is a huge concern, Uh Big term, big picture health, not you know he's knick knickknacks or whatever, but there is an element to this that Quinn Snyder's playbook is not easy and it is does not get picked up quickly, and they have a lot of new guys, Bogdanovich, 
Conley, Moutier, Jeff Green, uh, Jeff Green, uh, Ed Davis. Um, they, so they've got a lot of new faces to incorporate in there and to play in a style that they really haven't played before because the Jazz really haven't had a stretch player at the four position either. They they were running two bigs the last five years or so with Gobert and and Favors. So there's a lot of adjustment that's happening there. But everyone's but to dealing me, with that. I mean, like everyone's well, got turnover. But no, but there's a difference between when you have uh, a tone you know, of a playbook. You're saying exactly like he, he's a it's a Dickens novel, man. It's not an easy playbook. It's not something that you pick up quickly, and is, uh, as opposed to some other playbooks, which are more readily dumbed down a bit. You know, Portland is another place where they were talking about you know that first few games, like Carmel Anthony knew five plays, and like that's not even that's a fraction of a fraction of their entire playbook point being is the the learning curve in utah is a little steeper than other places but having said that the def that's why my concern is not uh offensively i think they'll figure it out they'll get better as the year goes by they have good offensive players the defense though makes me go oh i don't know about this man all right defensive rating on basketball reference the last uh seven games here it is i mean 113, 121, 122, 99, 124, 99, 123. It's 113.6 per 100 possessions over the last seven games. Not good. I mean, that's, that's not and just that's not Rudy good. that's Rudy Gobert healthy. Yeah, he's playing. Like, that's – that's because that's where you're first thing. well, who's been hurt? Nobody. So I, Gobert what, a, I mean, I see what you're doing here. I see what you're doing here. You don't want to face the music about the Lakers, so you're switching the conversation to the Utah Jazz. What no, is I mean, wrong with the Jazz is what you – your answer to, man, aren't the Lakers really good this year? I mean, that's uh, – that's. <laughs> I mean, my – I just I, – I was curious about it because I've been watching them the last couple of games a little bit more closely as I'm noticing the slippage, and I, I don't know what happened, and that's why I'm asking all the people that I thought would know, but I guess you don't know, so that's why you changed the, the the subject to the Lakers, an easy topic that people will click on. Okay, the Lakers are fine. The Lakers are a good team. I think the thing that a lot of people don't get mixed up, particularly on Twitter where the IQ isn't that high to begin with, is there's a difference between me saying your schedule has been easy and you're not good. Yep. Right? Yep. Like, I never said the Lakers weren't good. I'm looking at my mentions right now. My my menchies, as Mike Ryan, producer of the Levitard Show, likes to say. I'm looking at my menchies right now, and I got a guy in here who says, what's his excuse now? He said the Lakers weren't going to be When did I say the Lakers weren't going to be good? Yeah. I never said that. The question that started this all, at least for me, my personal involvement in this conversation, was on the jump when they had, at that point, an eight-game winning streak – and uh, the question was, what's more? What do you credit more for the Lakers' eight-game winning streak? Was it their? Is it their offense or their defense? And I said, I'm going to go out the board because at the time, all right. So at the time, this is who they beat in their streak: the Suns, the Warriors, the Kings, the Hawks, the Thunder twice, the Grizzlies, the Spurs. Where's the last one in that in that list? And then they went on to beat the Pelicans and the Wizards. It's 10 games. I just named 10 games. How many 500 teams at the time of them playing them do you think I just named there? Let me read them again. Suns, Warriors, Kings, Hawks, Thunder, Thunder, Grizzlies, Spurs, Pelicans, Wizards. Zero. 
All right, one. The, the Suns were uh, well, 500 by then, but they were already starting to reel. But I'm, I'll give it to them. The, okay, that one was above the 500. 9 and 11 Suns you're talking right. about now. Yes. So, so, but on aggregate, through the eight games, not counting the Pelicans and the Wizards, and I think we can all agree that they're not exactly standard bearers that we would uh, you know, say, oh, well, they would bring the averages all the way up. But through the eight games before those last two games, do you know what the combined record of the teams that they had beaten in that in that streak were? Tell me, I mean. Positive guess. Combined win right. percentage, I will go with mm, 349. Wow. Wow. You, we, I'm simultaneously impressed that you're so close and yet impressed that you still went too high. <laughs> 342. 37 Ooh. and 71. So Phoenix was 6 and 4. And then Golden State was two and ten. Sacramento was four and seven. Atlanta was four and nine. Oklahoma City was five and nine, and then five and ten because they played them back to back nights. Memphis was five and ten, and San Antonio was six and twelve. So, of their under five hundred opponents, the best record they played was Sacramento at four and seven, three games under five hundred. And then they got waxed by Dallas and Luca. Yeah. Right, and 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 so uh, by the way. Then you could say, well, well, what happened after that? Those teams surely, you know, have been playing better since then. Since that, uh, at the time when I looked this up, which is a week ago, since that eight-game win streak, all of their opponents combined a win record, a win-loss record of uh, 304. So they kept <laughs> playing bad after. It's not like the Lakers caught them. Caught them. Bat, yeah. No, they were bad before, and they're bad afterward. And so my point was, it's a good team. LeBron's playing better than anyone could have expected, especially on the defensive end. Anthony Davis is Anthony Davis. Everything's clicking, but you're playing against a really soft schedule. And so they lose to D- Dallas handily at home, I might add, right, where they had no answers. And by the way, there wasn't no answers for Luka. That's the next question I was going to ask you is Dallas's bench, real or fake? Because I'm watching these Dallas games and I'm like, they come in Atlanta with DeLon Wright and Kleber and uh, Curry and uh, uh, Jackson and who else? No, no, not Bobby. Because Bobby's still sporadic. Bobby's like everywhere he goes. Like they play him some nights and they don't. But the guys that play all the time is Maxi, um, Curry. You can't, you, you, right? You putting Tim Hardaway in there too? or a hard, No, no, not Hardaway. It's like an old bench lineup that they yeah. run out there. It's, it's Wright, Curry. Cleaver, Justin Jackson, and oh, who's the fifth? Is it, it was Brunson? Just looking, Brunson. There you yeah. go. Yeah, yeah. And those dudes come out and kick. Yeah. Like you look at it, like okay, this 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 team can't be that good. I mean, like this line. Oh, okay, they hit a couple. Of, no, they defend the hell out of it, and they move the ball, and they make shots. And that was the lineup that really burnt the Lakers. Lakers got burnt by like these this bench lineup that came in, exp- expanded the lead, and then by the time Luka came in, then it was just a Luka show after that. But their depth has been surprisingly stout this year, and I think what people don't realize is in the Luka Doncic uh, MVP chatter, don't look at his on-off court numbers. Don't. Don't. If you are a Luka it, fan and you are saying he's good. MVP, because when he's off the floor, that bench lineup is killer. It's good. And it's that's, really good. But it's so weird. You would think, oh, it's because they play with Luca or they play with Porzingis. No, man. They got a bunch of bench dudes that I don't think would have been anyone's first call at 1201. I don't think this is a, a fluke simply because it's Rick Carlisle who does this 
a lot is he he gets ma- maximizes the rotation really well. This is something else, though, man. This is this, another level yeah. of, of maximizing. This this is this is uh, to me it's a, a very surprising group of guys together that that are, are getting the job done. But uh, anyway, so Lakers lose to those guys, but then they come out, and I think the, to me the Denver win is their signature win of the year at this point thus far. Mm. That was a good because they had a lead and then they blew it and it looked like the Nuggets were about to take this thing. And this is an altitude they, loss where they're coming in and it's a back to back. Well, it wasn't a back to back for for the Lakers. No, yeah, they, they had, the next night was going to be. Yeah, back-to-back. what I'm saying is they might have just in their heads. Oh, they, we yeah. got to go Denver yeah. to Utah. That is a brutal trip. Yeah. Yeah. So so they 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 got the job done. They held the fort. They got the stops they needed. They made big shots down the stretch. They won that game, and I'm like, okay, that's a win right there. That's mm-hmm. something I can I can point to. Then Utah last night, we've just descri- described Utah's failings of late. But even assuming Utah is still good, and no, that was a good win last night, and I'll give him that. On December, it's December 4th right now. The Lakers have played exactly nine games against teams above 500 at the time they played them. Do you know what their record is in those nine games? Above There's 500 eight, teams? Eight, game, eight games. Eight games. Eight, eight games, games above 500. Uh, I'm guessing their three losses are against those te- teams. So yeah. five and three. Five and three. Yeah. So, again, they're great. They're they're beating the bad teams as they should. And all, but, like, I'm not – do I sound a crazy? Of when wins, a lot of – like, their point differential isn't 19 and three. So not Man- not, not by just one? the schedule, but also Oklahoma City by a three, right? Like I mean, they, and by the way, also throw in this Chicago by six. Also, by the way, throw in into this. It's not they're not doing what Milwaukee's doing in the sense that Milwaukee's had the same almost the same exact scenario. They're nineteen and three or whatever they are. They've beaten up on a lot of garbage teams. Their current the Bucks' current win streak is is something to behold. You this. Who they've beaten, and everyone's like, "Oh, Giannis is unstoppable." This is Middleton, by the way. But ladies and gentlemen, so the Bucks have won 13 games in a row. Let me read to you in reverse order who they've beaten. Stop me when you're when you're floored by this. (laughs) Detroit, the Knicks, Charlotte, Cleveland, Atlanta, Utah, which you already established is struggling, right? Detroit again, Portland. Atlanta, Chicago, Indiana, Chicago, <laughs> Oklahoma City. Like, that's a garbage-ass win streak. I'm sorry. Like, it's like, yeah, you beat them. But the difference is Giannis is playing like 28 minutes or some ridiculous yeah. number. And so it's like, okay, yeah, we're, we're playing a soft schedule, but we're taking care of business. Our guys are sitting. LeBron had to play 39 minutes for them to beat the Grizzlies by one. And he, Forgive me for pointing that out. Like, I'm, I'm sorry, but that's something that happened. I will give the Lakers credit here, though, because their defense has been really good. Okay, they're playing the a, soft, a, a soft schedule, right? Their schedule isn't the toughest in the league. They just did a back-to-back, which full confession here, full disclosure. When I plan out my week, I do the big uh, – sorry – Long live the big number. The Haberstat we record on Tuesday. It goes out on Wednesday. The column that I write is written on Tuesday or Wednesday, then goes out on Thursday. The Haber Show pod recorded on Thursdays usually comes out on Friday. What I'm getting at is 
the storylines that I write about have to be uh, fresh come the next day. So when I'm outlining my week, I'm like, "Mm, I'm going to write about the Lakers. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. They play a back-to-back at Denver, at Utah, Tuesday and Wednesday night. I don't want to write a Lakers column off of of, uh, those games until I've seen those games. And I said, no, I'm not going to write on the Lakers just yet. Wait until we watch those two games, and then I'll write a full uh, comprehensive breakdown. And they they took care of business. I mean, like we can go through the we can go through the strength of schedule, but I do think that two things have happened that I was I'm surprised by. One, Dwight Howard. Yeah, that's true. I was going to say there's only one thing. I think there's one one thing that's happened that's. A game change. Been the, the, it's, it's, that's it's, been the driver of everything, but it's two things. Dwight Howard being this good, definitely, I didn't see coming. It's not just about this good, I mean. It's the way he's playing. It's the playing It's playing the way he should have been playing for years, right? Like, after the back surgery. Well, I, 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 I'll be honest. At this point in his career, I had a strong feeling that he that wasn't going to be an issue, buying in. But my questions were about the health, because he's been extremely unhealthy, the last couple of years. Right. That's what I was concerned about. But him buying in and just like doing what I like, look, dude, dude came in on a non-guaranteed deal. Like he's, he had to try out, like, come on. Now he's not going to come in and say, where are my post-ups? That wasn't going to happen. Uh, I'm more surprised that he's just physically fit because I thought like, he said, oh, I'm in the best shape of my life. But you know, you hear that every summer every, from every especially player. Especially with Dwight. How many times have we seen a big Dwight Howard feature about how this year's different? I've, I've hit so, the bottom. This year's different. Yeah. It's like four years running. Dude's yeah, so, wolf. But, but to me, the success of the Lakers is driven by one really big thing, which is for the first time since Tom Habistro wrote an article way back in 2013 for ESPN.com saying LeBron doesn't play defense. Mm. He decided this year, I'm going to turn back the clock to 2012 and, and do something that I hadn't done in my last year few days in or my last year in in Miami I didn't do in four years in Cleveland I didn't do in my first year in LA which is try really hard on the defensive end right that's something he has not done and by the way I don't say that in a critical way he did it that way because he said I'd rather save it for April May and June than give it to you November December January February March right and I understood it, and I agreed with it, and I supported it, and I said, man, do you, because you're doing these amazing things in the playoffs, and you're carrying teams. Uh, you're absolutely right. As long as we get within a good seed in the playoffs, that's all that really matters. Being a number one seed, that's nice, but it doesn't really mean much when you have LeBron James. I was 100% on this plan. So going into this year, a lot of my skepticism about the Lakers was – built on the foundation that, oh yeah, but by the way, LeBron's not going to kill himself defensively, so Anthony Davis, it's nice to join the defensive player of the year, but when this dude has people cutting back door and stuff like that, it's kind of, they come secondary. Those kind of awards become secondary to more success later. He's, he he deserves credit for killing himself on the defensive end thus far, but Tom, Mm -hmm. I gotta ask. Is this a smart idea? uh, We're going to have to pay the piper at some point. And again, I can ask a question, Laker fans, because I'm not a fan. I, 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 I'm an intellectual who watches basketball, and these are the intellectual questions that stimulate my brain. Is LeBron going to be able to keep this up through 82 games and then still be fresh for the playoffs? Right, because this you year is a, different than last year. 
This you as year, a fan, you as a fan can live like you're playing 2K with fatigue off. I get it. You're a fan. Live and die with every day. But that doesn't intellectually do anything for me because I know in the real world people get tired, people get worn down, especially people turning 35 in just about three weeks. And we know he's not bulletproof. Last year he played on the fastest team of his career, like by far, by far the most up and down team most high transition team of his career. Wasn't mm-hmm. even close the pace that they were playing last year with Lonzo, right? Pulls his groin on Christmas Day. Christmas Day, pulls his groin out for the year, basically, right? They shut him down later, but he, he came back a little later and then he missed 30 games. So we know that he's not bulletproof. We know that LeBron, for the first time we can say, we know he's not invincible, right? So before we get ahead of ourselves and say this LeBron that you're watching is going to continue. We do know that he had done this through December last year and then had fallen apart. Well, he he didn't, he didn't do this. He didn't do this. It was a different team last year. He was, he was exerting himself in different ways than than defending at a high level on every possession. Right. Like that's my point. This is different because I've heard people try to make, Oh, but the Lakers were top 10 defense on Christmas day. I know. He wasn't doing this. He wasn't doing this. He wasn't. They might have been doing this. He was not doing this. All right. Let's take a quick break to hear about a podcast that should be in your rotation. This is David Kaplan. And on the Bulls Talk podcast, four-time NBA champ Will Purdue recently sat down with former NBA MVP Derek Rose to discuss a number of topics, including load management. If low management would have been around, who knows, I probably would have still been a Chicago Bull by now. To listen to the full interview, download the Derek Rose episode of the Bulls Talk podcast for free wherever you listen to your podcast. Now, back to the conversation. So then then the question is, because I, I feel the same way about Dwight, is like, man, here in Charlotte, when he had like a good opening month and he was posting double-doubles every game, they were like, hey, he's turned the corner. He had 499 post-ups that year. 499 post-ups. You want to know how many post-ups he has this year so far? Four. He's got uh, 12. 12 in 22 games. 12 post-ups. In tw- this is Dwight Howard, who three years ago was among the league leaders, if not the league leader in post-ups. He's now having a 13% usage rate, the lowest of his career. If this is the role of the the... You know, lunch pail, big man under the rim, does the dirty work, cleans up everyone's messes. This is it. This is that Dwight Howard. His block rate is four times what it was last year and in Charlotte. He is rebounding at a high level. He's playing great. Last night, Jeff Green tried to take it in on him, and he just embarrassed Jeff Green. Not to say that Jeff Green is Uh is Donovan Mitchell out here, but like... Uh But Dwight is playing really good defense. He's taking very smart shots, and he's playing his role. And... My question is, can that last? I think it can. I think I think it, it absolutely can. Uh, because, again, I think there's, you know, even as we try to make comparisons between Dwight and Charlotte and Dwight now, there was no LeBron on there. wasn't even an Anthony Davis on that Charlotte team. It, there was Kemba Walker, but I can see Dwight Howard at that point walking into the locker room. Like, oh, better than Kemba Walker. Even at, like, if they transported Charlotte Dwight to now, right, skip all the stuff that happened over the years that really destroys a man's, like, 
ego and all that. But just take that same Dwight and put him in the locker room with LeBron and, and Anthony Davis. I don't think he has that same mentality, or that that same kind of eye. And, and and then the other part of it is beyond like who's in that locker room. Again, the dude came in on a nine guaranteed deal, man. He tried out for the team. Like when you have to try out, like I, there's no part of this where you can walk around. Like you know, hey, you know what's the, where's my uh, big dog got to eat or anything? Like you're just happy to be here, man. I didn't see this coming. I didn't. I just I I watched it from the front lines. Maybe I'm biased. Watched from the front lines here in Charlotte. I think I think you saw a different Dwight though, man. It's it's just a, that's a different dude, man. He's he's not. Uh, by the way, if you're wondering at home, how's he doing on those post ups? Not that great. Point <laughs> eight. About roughly 0.8 points per possession. I was maddening in Charlotte, man. He would call for the ball and then dribble, 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 and everybody and their sister knew what was happening. He wasn't going to pass out of that post up. So they just swiped down at him. Every time he brought the ball down for a dribble, it was a turnover. Every single time. The whole entire defense would collapse and just swipe and boom, turnover, gone. It was so predictable. Remember Cliff, Steve Clifford had been his assistant yeah. uh, in, in Orlando. Orlando and in LA that one year. Oh, that's right. Yeah. He was in LA anyway. on that bench. And people said, you know what? Cliff, Steve Clifford, the coach, is going to be the guy who, who makes all the difference for, for Dwight. But I think in some ways it was an enabler, right? Is like, you mm. know what? I can, I can figure Dwight out. Just let me feed right. Dwight. And then what happened was. It just it, it didn't work out. It was almost an enabler in that situation. And since then, he was traded for Timothy Mozgov's contract, waived by the Nets, then signed by the Wizards on a two-year deal, then traded to Memphis and waived by Memphis. And then, I mean, think about that. For a guy who was the best defender on the planet for multiple years, for, for pretty much a decade, this guy was waived by three teams or dumped by four teams in a, in like a two year span. Now health had the, had had a lot to do with that too. It did. We it got, did. Yeah, and and so, but I mean, it, the other thing though, like the Lakers, they post up a lot. They play. Uh, they are second most number of post ups uh, in the league, behind only Philadelphia at this point. And Philadelphia is up by a lot uh, in that regard. Uh, so. This is something that that they've decided is going to be part and parcel of what they do offensively, even if it's not Dwight specific, which leads me to another question, right? The Lakers are very clearly leaning into we play with size and we 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 thrive on our size, whether it's because we post up, whether defensively our bigs protect the paint and we rebound tremendously, right? Boom. Fair. All good. No worries here. Question number two from Amin is that every team that's beaten them thus far has had bigs that pull them out from the paint, right? Well, yeah, that's pretty much the NBA now. Yeah. Right. So, but except, except many of these other teams aren't doing that. They're driving right into, like, we'll look at, oh, I see look at saying, Utah yeah. last night. Like, they're, they're playing into the Lakers' strengths as opposed to when I think about that Toronto game where it's like, all right, Dwight, come guard Siakam. Ooh. <laughs> it's like, oh, like, yeah. it changes everything, right? Like, hey, come out here. Like, Porzingis is hanging out. He's waiting for you over here. It changes everything for them defensively. I wonder, is it a personnel thing? that people, like, Most teams just don't have personnel. That, that, that's, that's that good to draw them out 
or is it just teams haven't really attacked it as such? That was a huge travel, though. LeBron. <laughs> LeBron. What is he looking at? What, like, here's the thing. No, no, he, he traveled and he discontinued his dribble. And there's a ref right there looking like at least his head is pointing in that direction. And so I'm wondering, what is he looking at? He's not looking at his feet and he's not looking at his hands. And he's not looking like, what is he looking at? Can I ask you a question? What's up? Referees, this is a bad run for the refs. Is it is it the scrutiny? Is it the fact what's, that like what's what, the bad what's the bad run? Tell, give me some two, examples. Two plays. Yeah. Two plays. Okay. It was two nights ago when Harden Harden blatantly makes a See, uh No. A, yes. I, I I je refuse. No. No. You watch that live? You watch that live, naked eye? It it looked like he could have missed the dunk. <sighs> But there's three refer. There's no. It's not like an obscure no, play. It was a fast no, no, but break. It, I mean, I know. But even looking at it, watching it, watching it, not being distracted or oh, I was looking at my shoe. No, watching it, looking at it, it w- did not look like it clearly went in. Now, when you watch the video replay, sure. the overhead's like, oh yeah, clearly it went in. Clearly this it went in. This is a hot take for you. This is a hot but take. But if no, 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 no. If you're watching it, if you're just there watching it, like, what did it go in? At the very least, I would be confused. Yes, I'd be like, did it go in or not? I wouldn't automatically assume it didn't go in, but I wouldn't automatically assume it went in either. To your credit, so, James Harden did not immediately freak yeah, out. He went he after was the loose up. ball. Yeah. Yeah. And, and by the way, it's not like the Spurs behaved as though like they got one over or anything. Everyone was kind of like, wait, what just happened? Mm. Right? They have a 30-second window. The Monty McCutcheon talked about this in his uh, story that Brian Winhurst had out today. They have a 30-second window where they can lodge a complaint. Jim Caper said they didn't lodge their, their Officially, challenge. Officially, they, they asked about the play. Mike D'Antoni, there's, there's different versions of the same story, right? It, it's, oh, look, we can't have – if you're going to have a challenge system, there has to be discrete parameters. And I mean discrete as in E-T-E, not E-E-T. Discrete, like tangible – this, this, that, right? These can be reviewed. This is the amount of time. That are, it can be kind of like, well, let me ask 45 seconds worth of questions. And at the end, I'm like, yes, I think I will challenge that. That's not how this works, right? That's not how this rule works. So to me, I thought the refs on the floor didn't – like I, I, if I'm the league, I'm not on Jim Capers on that. Like I think you handled it right. They had an opportunity. They didn't take advantage of the opportunity within the given time. For what, if they want to play 20 questions, that's on them, but the clock is running on this, mm. right? I don't have a problem with that. The LeBron, now, ironically, that play obviously factored in to the win-loss of that game. Like, there were actually stakes involved. The LeBron one, there were no stakes because it was a blowout and no one cares, but, eh, bro, look, at the time, look, they, were up the 13, Harden, they were up 13 at the time. The hard play in hindsight 2020, Monday morning quarterback, was a, a decisive play. But at the time... That was a 13-point game. Okay, all right. So, but whatever. Even so, like the LeBron one in retrospect, Captain Hindsight, <laughs> yeah. didn't and really it, matter, right? But to me, it's way more egregious because it's your only <laughs> job is to look <laughs> at the at guy LeBron with the with ball. The ball. Like, yeah. the, like yeah. the, as all the off-ball stuff that happens, still, even though, yeah, it's like, hey, we got to get clean up the off-ball. Like, yes, yes. But it comes secondary to that with the ball like you can't ignore especially when look i watched that video a million times 
I can't see the front of his face, the ref. I see his back and I see his head. Yeah. He's parallel to LeBron James. He saw this dude. He, I don't know what he's thinking about his flight. Did he check in in time? Yeah. Is he going to carry on or, or check his – I don't know dinner, what he was – Like what am I going to get? I don't know what he was thinking about. But I know he was looking at that in that direction. His body and his head were formed in that direction. And again, if you missed the travel, you couldn't have missed the discontinue. You couldn't miss the hearing it. This ball, dribble, 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 dribble. Like what do you think happened in that time? Right, and if and if you're thinking, um, you know, maybe the ball was hidden by his hip, and I couldn't see, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And if you're if you're Boyan, what else are you gonna do? Boyan immediately is like, "What is going on? Yeah. Like, did you? Did I no one see this? Am I going insane?" And sometimes the refs do that. Oh, I'd snap out of it and yeah. blow their whistle, and yeah. it's a little late. Dude didn't even do that. He just kind of like just kept staring. Oh man, maybe he's going through some things. So I had Channing Fry on the pod a couple weeks ago. Waste of time. Yeah, I know. I know you hate the dude um, because you guys were on the terrible, same team together. Terrible human being. The Channing That's hate right. is 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 That's alive. right. I, yeah, I'm going. I'm going right right for character <laughs> assassination. <laughs> terrible human being. Because I do I do want to give people a sense of what it's like to work for a team, go down to the wire against the Lakers, and have that play with Ron Artest happen. Can you give me a oh. sense of what? It was like to be in that locker room for the Kobe air ball, Ron Artest put back, and then that series be over like that. So uh, if you remember Back to the Future 2, there's this whole plot of Biff has this almanac and it's in 1955 now and it's supposed to tell him the future and he's never going to lose as long as he bets on the winner every single time. So Marty has to recover this. Otherwise, Biff's 1985 happens where he's powerful, corrupt, and and Doc Brown has been committed, right? And so Marty is following Biff throughout the night of the enchantment on the sea dance because he's got the almanac with him. And he follows him and he almost gets caught. And, da, da, da. and finally, it's it gets confiscated by Principal Strickland, who then throws it in the trash. And Marty, after like 30 minutes of tracking him through this movie, finally has his hands on it and he picks it up and says, yes! And then he opens it up and he realizes he switched the dust cover and really, what's inside is not the almanac, but a magazine called Ulala, which is, I guess, supposed to be very like a very tame Playboy. And he says, "No, Ulala, Ulala." That's what it felt like. It was like because Jason Richardson had just banked in a three to tie the game yeah. right before the timeout. There, uh, LeBron, um, uh, Ron Artest before that, Jason Richardson, three, Jason Richardson got the opportunity to shoot that three because Ron Artest took a really horribly ill-advised. Three-pointer with 18 seconds on the clock. He bricked it terribly. We got the ball. This Richardson comes down, hits his bank shot three, tied up. And we made we had made this massive comeback. And so, and my guy that worked for the Lakers at the time told me, literally, all there was on my the timeout right before the last play was, okay, we're going to play this. This game's going to end. And when the game's over, we're going to go in the locker room, and we're all going to full metal jacket beat the shit out of Ron Artest. That was that they were all planning it because they had the feeling that like all right this one's over and of all the people to grab that rebound and lay it back in he didn't have a shot all series besides that one before had to be him they carried him off on their shoulders Tom yeah like it's it's the Dumb and Dumber you have to go do this and totally redeem yourself that's what happened and so for us our strategy because we knew the Lakers were better no one was under any like 
we knew we, they were a better team than us. The fact that Ron was not even on the floor at that offensive position. Yeah. No. Well, the, the, like the, the, going into that series, we knew we had to have a certain. We ended up sun, the moon, and stars had to align in a certain pattern for us to have a chance at winning this thing. And one of those celestial beings lining up was Kobe needed to lose faith in his teammates, and his teammates needed to get sick of him. And all of that came together in that game five. Well, game three and four, we just ran him out the gym at our at our place. But game five, that was when it was the it was all cracking. It was all falling yeah. apart on him. Right, and the Kobe shot was evidence. We knew, like, we're gonna quadruple because not a chance in hell he's gonna pass it. We knew there wasn't a chance in hell that he was gonna pass it. We had three guys on him: it was Grant Hill, uh, it was Channing Fry, and I can't remember who the third was. Um, but they were all there, ready and and contesting the hell out of shot, and he shot it anyway. Right, and if and if we hadn't contested it as well, it would have hit the rim, and we probably wouldn't beat him in overtime. I feel bad for Jay Rich on that play, man. Yeah. Great dude, great teammate, was big to us throughout those entire playoffs. That was just one momentary lapse. I don't think that I don't. It should not be representative of his career. What kind of defender? He was one of our best defenders that year. Was Dudley on on Kobe on that three? Uh, it was Grant Hill, Channing, and maybe Dudley was there too. Maybe Dudley was there too. Dudley, by the way, if you, if, I don't know if anyone recalls this, but back in two thousand and ten shocked and angered the world when he said LeBron is way harder to guard than Kobe Bryant. Oh, People wow, lost their throwback. Yeah. 2010 Dudley said that. People went nuts. Nuts. It's, it's so silly now like of course. Yeah. Oh, you mean the guy who's 3 inches taller and like 50 pounds heavier and does everything and is willing to pass, shoot or whatever it takes in the situation. He's harder to guard that guy than the guy who shoots it every single time. Who's my height and skinny like what about the like so many so much bad blood between the Lakers and Phoenix? Because you guys took the two series before that. Yeah. You yes, said the Lakers packing in. So you got there in what? Oh five. I got there oh six. Oh six. So you were there for the oh six playoffs. Uh, I yeah, like I I got there after that, but I I was in the building, but not quite working during those playoffs. So, so I was in the Kobe was the Smush Parker year. That was yeah. That was the year they were up three one, and then they blew a three one lead. Yeah, oh six. That was the year they blew the three one lead. I wasn't. Quite, I was in the building, but that I was wasn't. Game seven that. when it, the mythical Kobe Bryant quit on his team in the second half of Game seven uh, didn't take a uh, shot. What's mythical? I thought, <laughs> I thought myths. I thought myths don't know mean it's not real, right? Like you know, like a uh, 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 Helen of Troy and stuff like that. That's myths, right? Like. Uh, Zeus, Kobe, Kobe like, who took every shot of the of the entire season for the Lakers that year. He took what, like three shots after halftime in Game Seven, Game Seven, seven. of the of the of the game series against seven. Phoenix. He let them get beat by thirty to prove a point in the Game Seven. It's one of the great great moments of Kobe's career. And and by the way, the people who are saying we're Kobe haters or Lakers haters today, I have a column out that says uh, Kobe Bryant had pace adjusted his 06 season. Pace adjusted was the biggest scoring year of all time because the Wilt Chamberlain 50 point season was at 130 possessions yeah. per game. Kobe yeah. Bryant averaging 36 a game in a, an environment where the Lakers were playing 90 possessions a game yeah. is insane. It's yeah. insane that year. You know what's, but what's crazy. What was his usage rate that year? It wasn't. It wasn't as bad as it wasn't like Hart. Russ. Yeah, it wasn't Russ. And it wasn't Russ or Harden. Uh, how is that possible? 
less possessions, and he's shooting so many times, and yet somehow it was a thirty-eight somehow. usage rate. It was thirty-eight, which is high, but uh, it's not high. all-time high, right? It's like not it's, all time. It's if I would, if you were Kobe Bryant in your prime, and your second best player was Smush Parker and Chris Mim and well, Lamar. Okay, hold okay. on. Yeah. Hold on, hold on. Yeah, like, like, like. Yeah, that, let's let's not revisionist history. This thing, like, like he had a bunch of bums. He had Andrew Bynum was getting better at that time. Lamar Odom was certainly a very good player. Uh, Slava Medvedenko. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. I kid. Von Wafer was on that team too. That Kobe season was unbelievable. But it was one of those things where I think that was Phil's first year back, right? He took a year off. Yes, Rudy T, it was a disaster. Then he comes back and just hands the keys to Kobe. And, and Kobe wins, what, 40, 45 games that year and plays you guys. Well, I guess you just come onto the scene at that point. But 35 points a game. Smush Parker's your third highest scorer. There was an interview. Smush said he didn't talk to Kobe once that entire season. Yeah, there's uh... – you want to talk about bad blood. People, oh, they could know. Like, that's actual bad blood between Kobe and, and Smush. Like, on some, if, I think the exact quote from Smush from, like, three or four years ago is, I wouldn't on him if he was on fire or something like that. Mm. So, like, there's actual bad blood between those two guys. Yeah. That's, that's crazy. Kobe, I think it's Kobe, MJ, and 89, the best scoring seasons of all time, yeah. if you adjust for pace. And James Harden will, are right there. He's not, he oh because because the pace is too fast. The pay, uh, in terms like uh, James Harden now. right now is one hundred five. Their pace yeah. one hundred five right. versus Kobe's Which, at ninety. Right. Yeah, that's oof, that's huge. That's a, that's huge, a gap. huge gap. That's I mean people people don't understand pace is so, like one hundred and five possessions a game versus ninety. Yes, he's not playing all of those extra fifteen possessions, but that's a big like that's a lot of possessions. To, to pad your stats. It, it's it's funny because it, to to put it into perspective, when I started working doing analytics back in the mid two thousands, you used to pace adjust to hundred possessions because you were pace adjusting up because everyone was so low. Now we pace adjust down to hundred possessions because everyone everyone's faster than hundred. Right? Is there anyone slower than hundred right now? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, actually, quite a few. I uh, just looked it up. Quite a few. How about that? But I wonder who the teams. Seven teams. Can you name the seven teams? Oh, here we go. This is this is Tom's trivia flipped on him. Right. Name the seven teams. Eight teams. Eight teams that have a pace of less than a hundred possessions per game. I looked this up the other day, so I know that Sh- Charlotte is one of them. Charlotte is ding. That's All one. Right, because okay. James Brago, the coach, was like, we got to play with pace. We got young legs. We got to play with pace this year. And I remember looking it up, and they were not. Um, 98.99. Charlotte is 25th in the league in pace. All right. Orlando has to be on there. Orlando, bing. 27th in the league at 98.67. Miami Heat. Uh, Miami plays fast, dude. Mm, do they? They're moving. They're moving it. They're, they're where, where zipping they the ball. Where do they rank? They're fifth, sixteenth. So they're middle of the road. <laughs> yeah. Middle of the road. <laughs> they play fast. Oh, they're below yeah. average. Um, yeah. um, not average. <laughs> all right, Boston. Boston just missed the cut. They're twenty-first, one hundred point one eight. All right, uh, Chris Paul has to be on there. OKC. Uh, also just missed the cut. Twenty-second at one hundred point one five. Okay. You're missing some of the, the like the really obvious right, well, ones. Well, New York 
The Knicks? Yes, there you go. Attaboy. Ding, 28th, 98.55. Uh, weirdly, probably the Kings are in there because of Luke. Ding, 29th, 98.36. That's so weird. It's so weird. weird. The Kings last year, Yeager was... Well, De'Aaron Fox has been out for a while, so that's... But Luke likes to play up-tempo. I know, but no, there's they don't have they don't have enough guard play. All right, who else? Who else? You're missing some obvious ones. You want some hints? Uh, ooh, Jokic. Yes, thirtieth, yeah. ninety-eight point two. You want um, some hints? Got some hints for you. Yeah, give me some. You hints. Get, go easy hint or just give me harder hint. hint. Yeah. Easy hint. I come from college, and everything has to be oh, a certain way. Yeah, yeah, Cleveland. Yeah. 99.5, 23rd. By the way, Michigan I, looking pretty good this year. Yeah. It's almost like it wasn't him. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, here's, here's another hint. I've always coached slow my entire career. This one is easy. Think about the coaches in the league. Oh, Nate. Oh. Nate McMillan. Thing, 24th, Indiana, 99.49. And let's see. You're missing You're missing one. You're missing one last team. Uh, at East, East, Eastern Conference, Eastern Conference, oh. 26, 98.77 possessions per game. Detroit. Need a hint? Yes, Detroit. There you go. Yeah. Okay. My hint was going to be like big, very big. Yeah. Utah's not on there. Yeah. Utah is not. They've been playing faster this year. They're 15th. They're ahead of the Mi- the aforementioned fast Miami Heat. Miami, they're interesting. Spo, congratulations to Eric Spolstra who had uh, who had a son. I don't know if I'm breaking that news. I should check Twitter. I should check Twitter. I don't that. know about the gender of the child or the, the having of the child. The having of the uh, no, like that, the gender. Because Dan, the gender, I don't know. But the Dan Craig, Dan Craig coached in Boston uh, last night. Was that last night when they played Boston? Yeah. Uh, and they made a big deal about it because Spo had to get on a plane and fly back to be with his wife. And so I think everyone knew, like, oh, he's having a kid. I don't think the gender okay. was known. But thanks a lot for using personal information as breaking news for your little podcast, you little clickbaiter. Mm, yeah, yeah, that's how I'm going to tweet it out is find out who in the NBA had a boy. Or find out the gender of their exposed newborn child. That's gender reveal on the Haberstra. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the gender reveal. What? Like I'm gonna tweet this out in uh in like somehow blue lettering or something like that. I don't know how a gender reveal tweet. Did you do gender reveals? I mean, I never even heard of it until like two years ago. I uh, honest to God, the first time I saw on Twitter is like, oh, you're gonna cry when you see this uh, gender reveal video and i was like i legit i'm not trying to be funny or facetious i swear to god i thought it was like a coming out party for someone who was transgender or 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 something along those lines that i swear to god i was like oh they have a so foreign a concept for you yeah then they're like no 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 it's for the baby i'm like the baby's transgender and they're like no 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 it's to tell people what gender the baby's gonna be like you have a party for that Never heard of it in my life. No. In my life, up until Twitter two years ago. Gordon Hayward's is amazing. Did you see that one? Uh, I did not. Gordon Hayward, I think, who has two daughters, and was they did a gender reveal video for the third kid, and it came out that it was another daughter, and he just wasn't. He just looked like someone oh, shot his dog. I think I've seen that. Yeah. Yeah, ah, man. Like uh, the other thing about gender reveals is just dumb. Yeah. Just be happy your kid is healthy, man. Like you don't need to. Here's my thing. When you go, like, this happened all the time with our second kid. They're like, uh, the, the nurses or, or friends are like, 
they're like, oh, uh, is it, do, do you have a, uh, another kid? I'm like, yeah, we have a daughter at home. And, and, and she's like, oh, this, is this another daughter? I'm like, yeah. She goes, oh, that's so cute. And I'm just sitting here like, if I had said boy, would you say, oh, that's so Ew. Cute. Yeah. Like, don't, <laughs> yeah, give me this, you have don't feign this cute reaction, right? Like, it, it's fake. Like, it's a 50-50 proposition. Don't act, act like, oh, I just was couldn't wait to find out it was two girls that you're having. You know? Like, isn't it weird when people find out, oh, yeah, I have two girls. Um, they're like, oh, my God, that's so cute. If I had said I had, like, two boys or one in one, would you not have said the same exact thing? No, whatever the answer was, it was going to be cute. Oh, because now you have one girl and one boy and they're going to be together and all this stuff. Yeah, yeah. Whatever the answer is, it's all going doesn't matter. doesn't yeah. matter. They're all cute. They're just trying to make you feel better, but they don't realize that people like us like are breaking down like the decision tree. Or like, <laughs> almost like, you know, this is all completely fake, isn't it? It doesn't make me feel better at all. I'm a boy-girl twin. So I understand like having a sister's great, but I, I understand that like having... Like, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter to the gender. It doesn't. You got to be healthy, man. That's the, you, you pray your kids are healthy and you take it from there, man. Like, <laughs> there's so many things. If all of you don't have kids, when you there's so many things that go that consume your day as a parent at any stage, whether they're infants, whether they're in grade school. Whether, like, the gender, I'm telling you, it is so far down the list yeah. of priorities. <laughs> because you're so worried about all this other stuff. Like, are they eating right? Am I doing? Am I challenging them enough? Are they taking enough? Uh, do I have to enroll them in this? So do they speak enough language? Like, all these things are going to be, uh, like, am I carrying them right? Am I? Is the seatbelt on right? Is the car seat in right? Like, there's so many things that have nothing to do with gender that are more immediate and more pressing. Yes. Which is, uh, I mean, I didn't know if we were going to take this turn here, but Dwayne Wade and his son standing up for his son and uh on twitter and social media um who he's marched in the gay pride parades with his son and it's a huge story and i mean Dwayne Wade uh i guess my point on this one is i think it should be fine that an nba player is supporting his son like is that should that be breaking news i mean the uh, the old Chris Rock adage is, <laughs> take care of my kids, right? You're supposed to. Would you want a cookie? But having said that, given the unique nature of that situation and that there are a lot of people out there who are still, like, disowning their children over their uh, sexual orientation or whatever, I mean, it, it serves as a very nice – sometimes people doing the obviously right thing to do – Still is – it's a big deal when they ha- yeah. when they have a platform like that, right? Because it it you never know who is going to receive that message and will receive it differently now than they would have if it was just some rando on the street telling, them, "Hey, you should love your kids no matter what." Did you have that coming in breaking into the NBA where you were like, "I don't think I can make it, but this person made it and so therefore I feel like I can make it." No. And I'm not trying to be funny about this but it is one of the few things that i will pull out of my vest and say this is the amin card i didn't i not only did i didn't have i didn't have a father who owned a team who coached a team who was a general manager of a team who was a scout who was a player nothing i had no connection didn't have a cousin who played for i had zero connections to this world 
and I created it on my own, but I didn't even have a blueprint or a guide or anything. It wasn't until like I started working for the Suns and I learned about Griff's background and I saw the similarities in it. And I was like, People oh, wouldn't like, expect that you and Griff would have a similar background. So we, yeah, like we, we, well, uh, Griff David went Griffin, to, the, the David GM, Griffin, or the yeah. executive uh, president, whatever the, whatever the title the, is, yeah, whatever it is of the New Orleans Pelicans. Oh, the, the big cheese in New Orleans, right? David Griffin uh, was went to school, went to Arizona, I believe, for one thing, then transferred midway to, I think it was, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I think he went to be a Chinese major. Or, or or Asian Asian studies because Griff's whole thing was he was gonna go live in China and like be, uh, be one of the first of like this uh, American conglomerates that were going to you know he wanted to be one of those people those liaisons like hey we're opening stores and and we're doing business in um in in China let him be, you know I'm gonna be one of the first people there. And then midway through, he transferred to ASU, just got a business degree. He started interning for uh, – back then, there were a lot of pre-draft camps. One of them was the Nike Desert Classic. He interned for that. And then through there, he kind of worked his way. He interned at the Olympics as a PR runner. And then from there, he got on as an intern in PR department for the, the Suns. And then from there, he worked his way up until he got became a video coordinator uh, for the Suns, and then the rest is history. You can basically just surmise from there how he went. And I had already started a path that was similar to that, and that I went to school to be an engineer, and then I decided I didn't want to do that. And I had to transfer, and I also transferred to ASU, coincidentally, and I wanted to work in, in basketball, and I interned for a bunch of different places, uh, the Hawks and the Knicks and whatever. And as I was trying to become a video coordinator, that was right when I got to know Griff. And so the similarities were there. But at that point, that was my third NBA job that I had and my probably my fourth or fifth job in basketball in general that I had had. So I know I was already on my way before I knew anything about Griff's background. Um, so I didn't I really didn't have anyone to look up to. I, every, everything I did, I was paving for myself with no connections again and no even someone from afar to look up to. Uh, and that's something I'm very proud of when I look at my career today where I am it was like. There was there were no front office people on TV, like even the, the famous ones. They weren't on TV, or, or on radio shows and or whatever. They were they were former players who had been no, executives? Not, right? Yeah, they were there because they were former players, not because of their executive experience. And, and so, uh, or they were wheeled out like, yeah, we have some cap stuff. Talk cap to us. All right, get the hell out of here. Yeah. Or you know, and, and so I, I with great pride, I look at. I look at people first of all on the front on the front office side. How many people who similarly now now it's more normal to have no connections and being there. Uh, there's uh, a young man named Mushteba who works for the Warriors front office. He's Sudanese. Like for the longest, I was the first and the only. And now I see, all right, he's in there now. I look at in the media. I see people whether it's uh, uh, people like Wes Wilcox or or Bobby Marks or whatever, like. These people weren't doing what I was doing. They would have gone and like kind of hung around and got another job somewhere else and kept it going. And I made this a front-facing position. Like, who's he? Oh, he was a front office guy. I don't have the experience that Bobby Marks or Wes Wilcox have. I'll be the first to tell you that. But I opened that door for them because that was something that wasn't done, that was not done before 
for me. And so these are things that these are the things that I, I look back at with pride. And not only that, I mean, this is not to belittle your career, but it wasn't like you were coming in with a huge resume of like executive VP of the right. Phoenix Suns. It was, hey, the only way that you are going to last in this gig is if you come off like you know what you're talking about, like that you have real you can articulate big, high, complicated basketball theory or basketball concepts in a way that people can understand and speak to experiences behind the scenes that can add color to what's happening in today's NBA. And and, and most importantly, out of all that, like I always say this, if I had done six years in the same exact experience that I had in Phoenix, if I had done it in Milwaukee at the same time or with the Clippers at the same time, I wouldn't be here. I, I'm not I, – I have no – illusions about that like i owe a great deal to the idea that i work with steve kerr and david griffin and mike d'antoni and alvin gentry and, and these are some of the most respected most loved people around the league and the players that we had were shaquille o'neal and grant hill and steve nash and amari stoudemire and you know it's like i could not have asked for a better experience in terms of the greatness that i was around and i'm definitely definitely riding those coattails and that's why I get to joke around all the time. When I see Jared Dudley at a Lakers game. I, I give him a hard time. Like, oh, Ryan knows LeBron coattails. Hold on, to like I know because we all know. Yeah. All of us. You know who rode LeBron's different situations. coattails? You know who who did? You did. Yeah. yeah. We all we yeah. all like almost like how much how many people didn't ride the LeBron coattails thing? I mean, besides you. No, I didn't. I, I know. Besides you. And that's why I'm the only unbiased <laughs> voice you can listen to when it comes to LeBron. Hell yeah, he traveled, and he shouldn't dance in socks either. Oh, man. Yeah, like my big break was 2010, covering the LeBron heat. And people do this with Brian Winhurst all the time. It's like, oh, you've been riding LeBron's coattails since you were in high school. Da, da, da. Do you know how many people in Cleveland could have had the career that he had? But, but Tom, it's like when I say the Lakers are a, a, a great team and also they've had a soft schedule. Like, we take advantage of the opportunities that present to us yes. and, I, and we have to acknowledge sometimes, yo, I had opportunities that other people didn't have by sheer dumb luck. I just happen to be in the right place right now and have opportunities that other people didn't have. Right. Having said that, that doesn't mean I'm garbage, that I'm like I just didn't have uh, – I've been sitting here picking Lynn out my belly button and, and, oh, yeah, by the way, can I get a job with ESPN now and be on TV? Like, no, I worked hard for this. And Brian worked hard for what he he got and Spo worked hard for what he got. And and, and Tom Habits – well, Tom, maybe not. Yeah, maybe not that guy. That'll do it for this week's episode of The Haber Show. want to thank Amin for joining me. You can watch him on ESPN, listen to him on SiriusXM Radio. You can also catch him at Darth Amin on Twitter and on Instagram. Also, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. It would be a big help. Go tell your friends. Go tell your family. The holidays are here, so gift them the gift of The Haber Show. All right. Until next time. 